This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Mount Park. Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Hello and welcome to Savor. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we're talking about biscuits. Biscuits, which, as we'll dive into in this episode, might be confusing. People might be thinking of different things when we say biscuits. Oh, yeah. This is an etymology-heavy episode. So if you're into that, then I am excited for you. <laughs> I am, too. We're specifically talking about Southern-style American fluffy baked biscuits. Right. Oh, yes. I'm already getting a craving. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. This is a really hungry episode for me, for sure. We did get to eat some biscuits when we were in Asheville, which is what kind of inspired us to do this episode. Yeah, they were enormous. And we got them from this place called Biscuit Head. Mm-hmm. And here is us discussing the experience when we got back from our trip. Along with producer Dylan. We... Finally got some sleep after doing a little bit more publishing work because that's the industry that we're in. And woke up bright and early the next morning because we had a hot tip from the nice people at Wicked Weed. Mm -hmm. Yes. We'd been planning on going there, but they hooked us up with one of the managers who works with Biscuit Head, Mm -hmm. which is a small chain uh, in Asheville that has biscuits and other breakfast food. Big feature is a sauce bar of, like, butters and jams um, that they all make in-house. It was so good. I mean, it was just the butteriest biscuit that I think I've had in a long time. They were huge. I ordered the Gravy Flight because they're also known for gravies. 
I thought it was going to come with one biscuit, and the one biscuit itself would have been enough because it was huge. But it came with, like, three biscuits for three flights of gravy, and then I tried all of the jams and butters. I woke up that morning, and I was not hungry. And so what do you do when you're not hungry? You go to breakfast, and you order an Eggs Benedict. (laughs) (laughs) That's the only way. It's the only way. (laughs) But it was very good. It It was delicious. And their hollandaise sauce was wonderful, and it came with some greens, and it came on a huge biscuit. Were they referring to them as cat head biscuits? I don't think they were. But we were. They were yeah. the size of the head of a cat. Absolutely. They were big biscuits. Yeah. They were huge. And they were, yeah. they were buttery, and so they were buttery. what a biscuit should be. Yeah. In my opinion. I mean, shots fired, I guess. But yeah. <laughs> biscuit shots. <laughs> they should just be buttery and flaky, and that's what they were. Just an aside uh, for our ATL listeners or anyone coming to visit, we have a lot of good biscuits in Atlanta. But if you haven't tried the comfy chicken biscuit at Homegrown and your diet allows, I highly recommend it. Oh, yeah. Homegrown, I think, is my favorite biscuit in town. Oh, so good. Also recommend sharing because it is huge and heavy. upsettingly large. Yeah. (laughs) It's intimidating. Yeah. But so good. Yeah. I definitely grew up in a house where... Biscuits were those things that came out of the Pillsbury Doughboy oh, uh-huh. thing. Can, yeah. yeah, like the weird tube. Yeah, so I was expecting that kind of size. And when I saw the price, I thought, hmm, <laughs> this better be a lot. And then <laughs> it was. A biscuit just as big as a cat's head? Just about. Maybe a little <laughs> bigger. Maybe a little bigger. Anyway, let's get to our question. Oh, yes. Biscuits. What are they? Okay, and yes. First off, (laughs) American biscuits, particularly American Southern biscuits, what are they? They're like this soft bread-like concoction, not English biscuits, which are more like what we Yankees would call cookies. Right. Modernly, biscuits are a type of wheat flour-based bread called a quick bread, uh, meaning that they do not use yeast to rise, but rather chemical leaveners like baking powder and baking soda. This means that you can mix them up real quick. You don't need to wait for the yeast to produce air pockets in the dough. They're made with just white flour, butter and or lard and or shortening, milk or buttermilk or cream, your chemical leaveners, and maybe like a pinch of salt and sugar. Mix them up, bake them as individual pieces rather than like a loaf or a whole pan full to be cut afterwards. And due to several really awesome physics things that I'll get into in a minute here, those ingredients bake up into this sort of savory confection of a bread. It's light and airy and flaky on the inside and crumbly crisp on the outside. Darn you, Lauren. (laughs) My craving is intensifying. In an article for Southern Reader, one Nelda Hill described good biscuits this way. Light as a Georgia R and as flaky as the paint on the west side of my house. A good biscuit sops gravy without crumbling and holds molasses like a teaspoon. It is one of the best conveyors of... Oh, yeah. Molasses. Of of stuff. Things to mouth. Jam. Gravy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love light as a Georgia R. That's funny. Georgia. (laughs) Georgia. (laughs) (laughs) There are a lot of different types of American biscuits. Uh, Some much more difficult to wrangle together. There's the beaten biscuit, drop biscuit, cat head biscuit, buttermilk biscuit, sweet biscuit, sweet potato biscuit, the red lobster, cheddar bay biscuit. (laughs) I have told Lauren... And now I will share with you, I have this dream of going to Red Lobster, ordering their nicest bottle of red wine, and just eating the Cheddar Bay Biscuits. 
I think this is a valid dream that we can make come to pass. Like, I think that's the mark of a good dream. You know, I agree. And I, one day, <laughs> I shall happily be munching on Cheddar Bay biscuits and drinking my medium-priced bottle of wine. <laughs> and I also, infamously, to me at least, because I've never shared this video with anybody, tried to make a social video when we first started of me making buttermilk biscuits. Remember after we got that buttermilk from Banner Butter? Oh, yeah, yeah. I tried to make buttermilk biscuits, and it was a disaster, a hilarious, sticky disaster. And it's great because I couldn't stop filming because my <laughs> <laughs> the dough was everywhere and it was sticking. And I just increasingly panicked more and more. I, I still wish that I had been there because it's really easy to correct sticky biscuits. You just add a little bit more flour until it evens out again. That's all you really have to do. I and think I was near tears of panic. Oh. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> like it was slowly devouring me. Uh-huh, yeah. This is also why it's important to add your milk product in small amounts just until it comes together. I was so excited about that. Oh, the, the, yeah, you just added it all. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> Maybe I'll post it. It is kind of funny. <laughs> I think in the beginning, I, I'm so upbeat and optimistic about it. And I oh. said, I, according to the recipe, no fools can mess that up, but they don't know what kind of fool I am. And then cut to, <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> anyway. Well, you made it through. I did. You're a stronger person for it. Thank you. I won't forget that. Mm -mm. <laughs> Mm -mm. And I haven't tried again since, but maybe one of these days. We'll work on it. With our powers combined, we can cook a southern meal. Yes. <laughs> but back to that terminology. Why the difference in terminology, though? Oh, yeah. Okay. So the biscuits that we American English speakers think of today when we hear the word, these fluffy things that come from the South, are a relatively recent invention and bear little resemblance to what the word biscuit referred to throughout history. We will get into that. But first, biscuit science. That is some of the best kind of science. Oh, right? Oh, man. And y'all will get to talk about chemical leaveners. <laughs> and it's like crickets. <laughs> it's exciting. We promise. <laughs> I get excited about gas bubbles. I don't know. All right. So baking soda, which I mentioned earlier, is the street name for sodium bicarbonate. If you've ever used a bath bomb to make your bath water all fizzy, that was the main ingredient. It's this dry powder that reacts with acids and releases bubbles of carbon dioxide, which makes it a good replacement in baked goods for yeast, which also release carbon dioxide bubbles. You just have to wait around for them to eat sugar and, you know, fart out the carbon dioxide. It's lovely. It is. Mm -hmm. You want bubbles in baked goods because they get trapped in the dough as the dough heats and solidifies in the oven, creating these wee pockets that make the bread fluffy and tender. Baking powder, meanwhile, is made up of baking soda plus a dry powdered form of an acid, uh, something like cream of tartar, for example. So when you get the powdered acid wet, it can interact with baking soda in the mix and produce that carbon dioxide. Uh, recipes often call for baking powder instead of straight soda so that you don't have to add your own acid, which would more greatly affect the flavor of the final product. It's also a little bit more reliable in mm. terms of, like, how much gas you get out of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're thinking of the other kind of gas. I'm talking about the kind that's creating pockets in the bread. Speaking of consistency, um, some baking powders even contain two types of acids to ensure that as much of that sodium bicarbonate gets activated as possible. And those are called double-acting baking powders. If you've ever seen single-acting, that's one acid, double-acting is two. 
I, for a long time, I think I said on this show, until maybe three or four years ago, I thought baking soda and baking powder were the same thing. Ah, and I was just using them interchangeably. Interchangeably. Oh, yeah, no. And I think I sometimes I'd see them both on a recipe, and it never occurred to me. Maybe <laughs> these are two different things. Why would they list it twice with different levels of ingredient me- Man, measurements? I some didn't... copy editor just wasn't paying attention. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know what? I think you should add another half teaspoon <laughs> of baking soda. I always assumed baking soda was the real one, and baking powder was like, I don't know. Some, some knockoff of yeah. baking soda. <laughs> So I've learned a lot, and my baked goods have improved for it. I believe that. Yeah. I'm glad. Yeah. See, learning is great. (laughs) It is. It is. Okay. So the way that you make biscuits is you sift together your flour and your baking powder to make sure the powder is, is evenly distributed and that the flour particles aren't, like, caking up with each other. Then you cut in cold butter or whatever other solid fat you're using, and cut in means that you, uh, you, you work the fat into these wee tiny little pieces evenly distributed again throughout the flour mixture. They're more or less. Um, There are a lot of methods for doing this and everyone has an opinion on which is best. I will not presume to tell y'all. That is up to you. (laughs) This is a decision you have to make for yourself. That's between you and your KitchenAid. (laughs) You you and your biscuit god. (laughs) Yes. You want the butter to be cold. I mentioned cold um, and the pieces of it to be tiny because it's not just adding delicious fat into your dough. It's helping form the structure of the finished biscuit. When your butter fragments start cold or whatever kind of fat, I'm just going to say butter from here on out. When they're cold, they're, they're taking up a lot of space in the dough. So when you put the dough into the oven and it starts getting hot, the dough will start firming up just as the butter melts. This will leave these wee little air pockets in the dough where the granules of butter used to be, meaning that you wind up with yet fluffier and flakier biscuits. Mm, 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 mm. Oh. And I've mentioned before, but my method, my lazy method, is you freeze the butter and then you use a grater and grate the butter into the... Lazy or clever? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I just need someone to understand me. <laughs> It's a valid method. Thank you. And way easier than, like, chopping it in with knives, which is what I do. Or, um, yeah, anyway. Okay, so the last ingredient before you pop your biscuits in the oven is liquid, usually milk, maybe buttermilk, something like that. This adds water that allows the proteins in the flour to link up into a tender, chewy gluten. And also, when the dough heats up in the oven, that water content will boil, forming more air bubbles that help with the lift. Mm Mm-hmm. The liquid milk or whatever also starts to activate the acids in that baking powder. Biscuits are generally made with double-acting baking powders. Um, One of the acids they contain won't start reacting with baking soda until the stuff goes into the oven and gets up to about 180 degrees Fahrenheit or 80 degrees Celsius. But the other acid in your double-acting baking powder will start reacting at room temperature as soon as the liquid is added. And this is why you want to work biscuit dough quickly and get it into the oven fast after you add your liquid, because it will start to deflate if you leave it out too long. Mm -hmm. Same goes for any number of quick breads. Yes, it's true. Yeah. So, yeah, you mix up your ingredients. You work the dough quickly and minimally to, uh, to help the gluten chain up just enough, but not too much. You don't want chewy biscuits. You roll it out to whatever thickness the recipe calls for. Cut them with something sharp. This is important because the blunt edges of a glass will kind of collapse the uh, the internal layers of the dough along the edges of each biscuit. Yeah. Yeah. Want something sharp. That'll prevent rise. Yeah. Um, and then you get your biscuits in the oven. 
Science. Biscuit science. Biscuit science. So cool. <laughs> Love and, it. Unless you're making drop biscuits and then you don't cut them, that's a slightly different process and also cool. Nothing wrong with it. Also cool. Yeah. Nothing wrong with it. <laughs> ah, the drop biscuit gods are going to curse us. <laughs> Terrible biscuits from here on out. I've already paid my price. <laughs> like gesturing to someone that's not there. Yeah. Uh, depending on what kind of biscuit you're looking for, there are so many recipes online that can help you out here. Yes. So many recipes, videos, what have you. Oh, yeah. Um, and if we're talking about nutrition, it depends on the type, but... It's fat and flour. Yeah. I mean, they're not great for you. No. I mean, they have a little bit of protein in there. That's good. Mm-hmm. You know, fat helps keep you full. That's nice. Yeah, it does. Whenever I think of the nutrition of bread products, I think of that line from Scott Pilgrim versus the world mm-hmm. where they're eating garlic bread. And he's like, oh, we just eat garlic bread all the time. And she's like, bread makes you fat. And he's like, bread makes you fat? No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just did a like roller coaster <laughs> woo motion. It's <laughs> pretty good. Yes. Um, And numbers are a bit hard to come by, but we did find some. Uh, Yes. As of 2015, the biscuit was named one of America's fastest growing menu items by the market research firm Nation's Restaurant News. This is part of what's being called the rise of breakfast. Is that a pun? It's a biscuit pun now. (laughs) (laughs) More fast and fast casual chains are offering breakfast items and more of them are offering them all day. The breakfast category is projected to reach $60 billion a year uh, in value by 2019, up from just $50 billion in 2015. You know what I find so interesting about that is in our episode on brunch, we talked about how less people are eating breakfast yeah. now than ever. But <laughs> at the same time, people like breakfast food. Right. Just maybe not at breakfast. Right. <sighs> And the rise of more all-day breakfast items, a la McDonald's, facing that pressure to have breakfast all day. Yeah, or like Starbucks offering all of those breakfast items, Mm -hmm. like breakfast sandwiches and whatever. Yeah. But from my own anecdotal experience, as I've mentioned many times, I came from a small town, and there weren't that many restaurant options. When I was growing up there, there are a lot more now. But one of the options was Dairy Queen. And it caused traffic jams in the morning because it was like, it didn't have a parking lot, really. It was just right off the road. Oh, wow. And so Uh people, it was next to an intersection and people going to all the schools were in the other direction. (laughs) So the drive-through would be out causing... Snaked out onto the road. Yeah, like past the intersection. Oh, my goodness. And it got to the point where they were, like, forming a, a road across the street that wasn't there, but people would go get in line over there. And what everybody told me they were ordering, because I was always so confused by this, was the the biscuits, some variety of the biscuits. Huh. All right. From Dairy Queen. I didn't know that Dairy Queen even served that. Oh, they do. Certainly around the Atlanta area. Um, <laughs> oh, now I wonder. I, okay, all right. History of Dairy Queen is a whole separate episode. Oh, I've looked into it. Do you know who owns it now? Well, no. Warren Buffett. What? Yes. <laughs> I looked into it briefly for our Sunday episode. <laughs> I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure Warren Buffett owns it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, all right. Future episode for sure. Mm-hmm. Chill and grill, baby. <laughs> <laughs> but in the meantime... <laughs> We have a lot of really fascinating history about the biscuit for you, including all of that etymology. Yeah. But first, we're going to pause for a quick break for a word from our sponsor. 
This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it! Give me a vacation! Vacation! Give me a wave! Surfing! Give me a city tour! The trolley! Give me animals! The zoo! Give me some sea life! <laughs> Give me museums! Park. Give me a woo! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024... You deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with our etymological journey. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, ah, what a fun journey this will be. So, okay. The word biscuit comes from a combination of the Latin word biz, meaning cooked, and coctus, meaning twice, used to describe a common ration for soldiers of the Roman Empire. These biscuits were unpleasant. Um, They were made without any fat or any leavening agents at all, so they would last a long time. Yeah. And because of that, as you can imagine, it was popular on long journeys, where these biscuits are hardtack, or, or sea biscuits. Or sea biscuits, or ship's biscuits, or pilot bread. <laughs> Interesting. We're baked <laughs> up to four times to make sure they'd last the journey. And that reminds me of Hagrid's Rock Cakes, Harry Potter reference of the episode, which I have a <laughs> recipe for, and I'm always kind of like, why? Huh. Why cook these? I wonder if they're just like scones. They probably are. They probably completely are. <laughs> send, send me the recipe. I'll check it out. Okay. <laughs> also, the French and Italian had similar related words, biscuit, which actually came before the British word, and biscotti, respectively. And also, King Louis XIV's soldiers called biscuits stone bread. Rock cakes. <laughs> Rock cakes indeed. 
And to soften up these babies, sailors would sometimes dip them in brine, or they would break them against their arms to make smaller, easier-to-eat pieces. All seemed just okay in the biscuit world. Yeah, they they maybe weren't tasty, but they were nutritious enough and uh, lasted quite a bit. Mm-hmm. By 14th century Britain, the word biscuit was used to describe a sweet, cookie-like thing. And yes, grow on all you like, British listeners. We can't hear you. <laughs> uh, that was dried <laughs> out. Over time, it softened and became a perfect accompaniment for tea. But <gasps> language entry. <gasps> mm-hmm. <laughs> In the 1700s, the Dutch started using the word cookies to refer to little cakes. Yep, I bet a lot of you see where this is going. These little cakes had a leavening agent that gave them a cakey texture, and they were overall biscuity. Uh, (laughs) It's just confusing in the context of all of this. But yes, the Dutch word was adopted in English and lives on as cookie. When Dutch and English merchants began selling their wares in the New World, words collide, words and worlds. Wow. (laughs) What do you call these things? Heresy. I call them this. After the American (laughs) Revolutionary War, (laughs) Americans were not so into the British. So they sided with the Dutch when it came to the great biscuits or cookies debate. Basically, Americans call the British biscuits by cookies or crackers out of spite, (laughs) which I love and totally understand. And Americans took up the word biscuit and applied it to a round, soft, not twice-baked bread, typically served with gravy, uh, which is also a different meaning in Britain, gravy does. So, fun with words. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so does flapjack. What? Apparently, flapjack means granola in Britain. Oh, I did know that. Did you? Yeah. So it's true. Yeah. Well, one of my nicknames is flapjack. Oh, really? So it takes on a whole new meaning if it has a, a different meaning. Goodness. I'm granola. Yeah, I was ordering British snacks at one point, and I got very confused about... It all turned out okay, but... <laughs> I'm relieved I'd... to hear that, sincerely. <laughs> <laughs> Flapjacks are not... I'd be very disappointed if I ordered what I thought was pancakes and I got granola, I have to say. But that's just me. That's just me. And another thing that I thought was interesting about this whole thing, we've talked about Nabisco before on the show, the the company, and how it stands for National Biscuit Company, which in this context is interesting. It's one of the biggest, if not the biggest, companies specializing in cookies and crackers but they use biscuit in the British sense for the word, and they are an American company. Right, yeah. Huh. Huh, indeed. Another thing that comes up a lot in this conversation around biscuits is scones. The New York Times tells me the only ingredients separating basic recipes for both of them are two tablespoons of sugar and an egg, which I have my doubts. Oh, oh. scone aside. Okay. okay. All right. There is a big difference between what coffee houses here in the States sell as scones versus what scones have traditionally been. Uh, Scones here have become these stiff, crumbly, super sweet things. If you get a scone over in the British Isles, you'd likely be served something a lot like an American biscuit, only probably lightly sweetened. Basically, if if you're making what I'd call a proper scone, and this is something I have an opinion about, yes, (laughs) um, you're adding an egg and using cream instead of milk in an otherwise basic American biscuit recipe. The extra proteins and fats make the resulting baked goods a little bit more cake-like, a little bit more like like creamy textured than hmm. southern biscuits. Um, I make them all the time, and they're fab. Oh, yeah. 
You can make uh, them sweet or savory. Ah. Uh, yeah. A whole scone world. I love a good cheddar herb scone. Oh, my gosh. Next time you make scones, I'm just saying, I'm around. You have to eat them fresh, like piping hot oh, out I of the oven. Oh, I can be there. <laughs> Don't worry about that. In fact, you'll be like, how did she know? I just appear. Scones? <laughs> uh, I think when I was in high school in our civics class, every student got assigned a country and you had to do a big project on it. And part of that involved cooking a recipe associated ah, with uh-huh. the country. I can't remember if I made scones or crumpets, but uh, they did not turn out well. <laughs> and it was part of your grade. I was really oh, bummed about it. Oh, they were fine. They just were Kind of bland. bland. Yeah. And hard. I don't know what I did wrong, but I have not had, I don't think I've had a proper scone. If I have, it's been a while. So. All right. Just saying. We can rectify this. Perfect. <laughs> All right. Back to the American style biscuit. It, it is another food that arose because of limited resources and practicality. When European settlers first arrived to the new world, they didn't have much. They were starting from scratch like you do with a biscuit, (laughs) in many cases. This meant that a lot of their foods were simple and fairly bland. Common foodstuffs at the time were baked ground wheat biscuits or baked ground corn, cornbread, depending on whether you lived in the north or south. Uh, Southern mills traditionally were built to process corn, so even when wheat started coming to the south, the mills there were sort of crap at grinding it. So for a long time, uh, flour breads like biscuits were a rich people food in the south. Everyone else ate cornbread. Yeah, and cornbread was also easier to make in terms of time and equipment. You didn't need a special pan or an oven. And a cor- cornbread is a different episode. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to talk about pones. <laughs> I can't wait for you to talk about pones. <laughs> we all can't wait about pones. <laughs> and it's actually very kind of boring, but, you know. We have pone impatience nonetheless. We do. Either of these cornbread or biscuits could be cheaply spiced up with a bit of gravy of some sort made from the drippings of roasted meat filled out with a pinch of this and that. Gravy could make a meal out of those bland breads. By the time the Revolutionary War rolled around, biscuits or cornbread and gravy seem to have been relatively commonplace. By the mid-18th century, the biscuit was a staple in the wealthy American South. But it still wasn't quite the biscuit we think of today. Because yeast was so costly, people often made biscuits without this leavening agent. So making biscuits was a laborious process. I would argue it still is, but I'm really lazy and (laughs) apparently terrible at adding milk. (laughs) In order to get air in the dough and ensure that it would rise, biscuit makers had to use the old elbow grease and really beat the dough and fold it. Once baked, this dough resulted in something bread-like but sturdier. All the better for scooping up that gravy. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. You could use pearl ash instead of manual labor to get your biscuits to rise, but that came at a sacrifice of flavor. Right. I know we've talked about this before, but to get pearl ash, which is potassium carbonate, folks poured water over wood ashes. Already you might be having some... You might realize why that impacts the flavor. Yeah. The resulting solid was pearl ash. Um, A similar process was used to make lye, by the way. Using pearl ash pretty much guaranteed a bitter soap-like flavor, like lye. Uh, And that's not what you're looking for in biscuits. Not really, no. No. At least not most people. (laughs) The first recipes for the beaten biscuit came out of Maryland and Virginia, although I did see 
some state debates oh, claiming. I'm positive. Oh, absolutely. All they called for ingredients-wise was flour, milk, and lard. You need some sort of tool to beat these things together with, though. A specialized axe <laughs> or a wooden mallet <laughs> were popular options. Ah, oh, an axe for biscuit making. I need to know more about this biscuit axe. <laughs> All right. Oh, uh, my gosh. You but, should need one of your axes, your D&D character, to be a biscuit axe. <laughs> Can she cook? Oh, I don't know. That's a good question. I think she can, but I'm not sure that you really want to eat a whole lot of it. <laughs> this is an important character question for you. Yeah. I'll have to think more about that. All right. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, the, the amount of effort that these beaten biscuits uh, required to make, we're talking hours of beating air into the dough to make it so that your biscuits would rise when you baked them. So this style of biscuit was really only made by enslaved people for their masters, and it dropped out of fashion after emancipation. Mm-hmm. After baking soda was invented in the 1840s, a lot of Southern cookbooks published recipes for soda biscuits, which used baking soda to achieve the desired rising. Uh, the first baking powder was patented just a little bit after that in 1856. A different thing. Yes. Truly. <laughs> <laughs> and we have some more history for you. But first, we have one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it! Give me a vacation! Vacation! Give me a wave! Surfing! Give me a city tour! The trolley! Give me animals! The zoo! Give me some sea life! <laughs> Give me museums! Park. Give me a woo! If you are happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. 
we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. There are a couple of reasons why biscuits took off in the South, in the Southern United States, and not so much in the North. One of the main ones has to do with the types of flour used in these regions. In the North, you are likely to find um, tougher, more gluteny wheats that could survive the cold winters, whereas in the South, you are more likely to find softer wheats with less protein that made for fluffier, springier baked goods. Before national distribution was a possibility, bleached all-purpose flours were pretty limited to the Southern American states. This is also part of the reason why the North took to bagels more than the South did. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. In part because of the amount of labor and potential cost, at first, biscuits were largely something you'd have on Sundays only in the South. To save time and money, large clumps of dough were dropped on a baking sheet, giving us another type of biscuit, the cathead biscuit. If you couldn't afford or find flour, you might use the abundant sweet potato in its place, abundant in the South. The sweet potato biscuit is still alive and well today in the South, by the way. We have a pretty popular, I guess it's a chain. It's a local it's chain. A, it's a local chain, yeah. Highland Bakery, they have sweet potato biscuits. Yeah, yeah. Around the middle of the 19th century, flour milling technology improved. And meanwhile, Midwestern wheat production was being stepped up. And the end result was that better cheaper flour became available for everyone to buy in the Mm -hmm. South. Yes. And then we get Alexander P. Ashbourne, an African-American grocery store owner out of California. He eased the lives of biscuit makers with his invention of the biscuit cutter in 1875. It was spring-loaded. It came (laughs) in different shapes. I got very excited about it. He also was involved in three patents for refining and processing Coconut oil, by the way. Ah. Mm-hmm. And then in 1930, Lively Willoughby out of Louisville, Kentucky, invented refrigerator biscuits. Though, yeah, the dough pushed into those cardboard tubes. Oh, at high pressure. Terrifyingly high pressure. Very scary, right? It's frightening. <laughs> he got the patent in 1931, which was acquired by a local company almost immediately, and then acquired by Pillsbury Mills in 1951. And yes, that Pillsbury Mills. According to the Encyclopedia of Consumer Brands, Willoughby's invention was sort of a mishap. To store biscuits, Willoughby would slice the biscuits, wrap them in tinfoil, and then push them into cardboard tubes for storage in the icebox. When he would go to retrieve them, the compressed dough would explode. Allegedly, Willoughby would send his son up a ladder to scrape the dough off the ceiling, I think, to repackage. Um, But this did not deter him, and he kept experimenting until he came up with a less explosive way to store dough. Less explosive. And this was a big deal. Take this first line of an early display ad out of the Atlanta Constitution. Once in a lifetime, once in a generation, such things happen. Excavation point. <laughs> Sounds like you're talking about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. This is great. It's true. I like it, but it's just a biscuit, a tube of biscuit. <laughs> like I kind of alluded to, I loved those, the Grand Slam biscuits. When I was a kid that had all the layers, it said it had 100 layers. I don't know if that's true. But I would put a different, I would alternate butter, jam, butter, jam. Oh, dang. And all of the layers. Oh. That sounds delicious. <laughs> I also really like the crescent rolls. And, uh, yeah, I was terrified of opening the tube. I used to make my mom do it. They were launched in 1965, by the way, with the tagline, Poppin' Fresh. (laughs) 
And an aside, every time I hear Willoughby, I think of that Twilight Zone episode. Does anyone else? Anyone? Let us know. I, I really want to know. I really want to know. I think it's called Next Stop Willoughby. So it's easy to find should you, <laughs> should you want to. I'm just going to put that out there. Another biscuit innovation. In 1983, White Lily, and yes, the flower brand, came out with self-rising flour with white winter wheat. This uh, already has the chemical uh, leaveners added in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, winter wheat, by the way, if you were wondering about that, which I was, and went on a very large deep dive that was <laughs> ultimately fruitless, which was my favorite kind of deep dive. Uh, yeah, w- winter wheat is a category of types of wheat that are typically planted in the fall and allowed to germinate over the winter and they start rising up over the spring rather than uh, less sturdy types that are typically planted in the spring. But it's really complicated and I guess we have to do a whole episode on wheat someday. But it's going to be so massive, so I'm honestly not looking forward to it, so just forget that I said anything. (laughs) Okay, I have a a really lame pun, but I'm going to make it. It, (laughs) (laughs) It's dull, like Homer Simpson, but it's not. (laughs) Lawrence sitting back like, oh, Annie, you got to let Annie be Annie. Uh, You know what helped popularize the biscuit outside of the South? What? Kentucky Fried Chicken Ah. as more and more popped up across the U.S. and the world. Also, uh, other rival chicken chains like Bojangles, Chick-fil-A, and Popeyes. Yeah, in the past few years, these chains have opened thousands of new locations around the world, uh, introducing more and more people to American biscuits. Yeah, and as I've said before, in my personal experience traveling, Kentucky Fried Chicken is probably the restaurant chain, fast food chain, and I see second most when I've traveled. Hmm. McDonald's, KFC, and Subway. Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. When we visited that first uh, KFC in Kentucky, their biscuit was totally decent. It was good. Yeah, I liked it. We dipped it in something, and it was very good. The gravy, I think the chicken. Yeah. Or maybe the, yeah, because I had mashed potatoes. So I tipped it in the mashed potato gravy. That's right. That's good. Totally decent. I have an ending quote from that same article by Nelda Hill that I referenced at the top. She was kind of waxing poetic about how biscuits bring people together, how how the dough is the tie that that binds us all in the South. And she said, um, rich, poor, black, white, schooled, unschooled, churched, irreligious, biscuits seem to be the one thing other than humidity, that Southerners have in common. Next to jazz, they may be the South's great contribution to civilization. Get it, Biscuit. (laughs) (laughs) That's really funny because my friend's cat's name is Biscuit. Oh, that's a good name for a cat. (laughs) Don't they? Isn't that... Yeah, yeah, making biscuits biscuits when they're kneading. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Sharp, pointy biscuits. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) That's a wonderful quote. And... uh, We're going to have to get some biscuits and scones. All right. Well, (laughs) you look so disappointed. This is this is wonderful news. (laughs) I can't get them quickly enough. (laughs) Oh, okay. I see. I see. I understand now. Uh, But yeah, that's our episode on biscuits. And we intended to do biscuits and gravy. And there was so much there was so much about biscuits that I didn't really get to the gravy part. Um, We mentioned it a couple of times, but um, we'll have to we'll have to work that in another time. Yes, I'm sure we'll get around to it, especially. That's another thing. I, I honestly don't know, but I feel like it's pretty Southern gravy. <laughs> it's a Southern thing. The, the specific type of gravy that you're thinking of is. That's um, true because it means, I think it means a lot more than I 
Yeah. I think it means. Yeah. When I say gravy, I'm thinking of a very specific thing. You're probably thinking like sawmill gravy. Yeah. Or or for Thanksgiving. Um, oh, yeah. I'm like making, turkey gravy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. no. And it, okay. The cravings are getting out of hand. Okay. All right. Let's move on to listener mail. Coming out of the oven with <laughs> Alyssa, who wrote, I was listening to the recent episode where you asked folks to send in their food poems. Yes, please send those in. Yes, totally. <laughs> she said, I don't have any to share with you myself, but I know there's a hashtag on Instagram, Food Poem Friday, as well as various others of hashtag food poetry, hashtag food poem, if you want to check those out for future enjoyment. Oh, wow. A friend of mine uses that as a prompt every week to write something to share. I cannot guarantee about the quality of the poems, but you may find them entertaining. I'm sure we will. Oh, that's great. Yes. Yeah. Amberly wrote, at the end of your pickle episode, which made me desperately want to make some homemade pickles, I've already found a few recipes for Polish pickles, one of you mentioned how weird it would be to literally be in a pickle. Immediately, I remembered, wait, wasn't there a Magic School Bus episode about that? And yes, there is. She included a link for our viewing pleasure. That Magic School Bus, it goes everywhere. Oh, it does. I still, I mean, Miss Frizzle is like all of my life goals, if you guys couldn't tell tell that about me just from listening. Oh, yeah. I had TV, but it didn't have any, like, any channels. But I had <laughs> a friend, and every time I would go to her house, we usually got to watch an episode of the Magic School Bus. Oh, uh, so yeah. I sometimes had campaign, like, Rebecca, <laughs> don't you think I should come over? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, if we want to watch Magic School Bus. She also had um, a jar of peanut butter, like chocolate chips, but peanut butter chips. Ooh. And I would just, like. Oh, yeah, sneak them. Mm-hmm. I also saw um, a little girl dressed as Miss Frizzle at Dragon Con, and it was one of yeah. my favorite things I've ever seen. <laughs> oh, that's so good. I always, I've, I've seen a couple Miss Frizzles at Dragon Con, and it always makes me just incredibly happy. Yes. So it, it's another viewing thing. We've given you, I think, two very different uh, <laughs> types of TV shows, Twilight Zone and Magic School Bus, to go go and watch after this episode on Biscuits. So, hey. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. If you have any food poetry or any other thing that you would like to share with us, you can, and we would love to hear from you. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Our handle at all three of those places is at saverpod. Thank you so much to Dylan Fagan for uh, being being fabulous and, you know, also making our jobs pretty easy. Thank you to you for listening. We hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. 
Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Because there's nothing like a weekend pause with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies.